This is Gridiron Graduates, a weekly podcast covering all things football. Episode number 65, Cashing in the Benefits, recorded March 23rd, 2017. Hey, welcome back, guys. Welcome back to the Gridiron Graduates, Bill Rossetti, Ian Warren hitting you guys back up on another fine weekend here, or middle of the week. Um... Coming off an exciting weekend for sure with the NCAA tournament and everything else going on. Uh, I know my bracket's certainly busted. How's yours doing, Ian? Um, mine's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I only did one and I did it, you know, like the, the morning of. And um, I picked Kentucky, uh, Nova, I think. I have to go back and look at the other ones, but. But I, I remember those two for sure. Um, so, I don't know, I guess Kentucky still alive? Um, still them, yeah. But, I mean, that's basically it. I did pick Kentucky winning it all, though. Um, so I guess I, I had a chance of being sort of right. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, though, that's going to be a fun game coming up between them and UCLA. Could could be the game of the Sweet 16, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see that. It's It's been cool to see some of these... Uh, Pro prospects and mm-hmm. and I haven't watched a ton of, of college basketball even throughout the tournament, but from what I've seen, it's been some good ones. Oh yeah, you know, especially in that game, Fox against Ball. Yeah, this is a huge showdown. Yeah, um, just saw you know at the time of this recording, Gonzaga just knocked off West Virginia, so definitely nice to see the young pups there. You know and. But let's face it, Gonzaga's a high mid-major, I guess we can call them. You know, they're they're definitely able to hang with hang with the big boys. So uh, nice to see them back in the lead eight. And here's hoping this is finally the year that they make it to the final four. But of course, uh, you know, we've got some football to talk about. A lot of good stuff going on. Um, for one, it sounds like the Raiders are going to be on their way to Las Vegas. Talks of uh, votes likely going to happen next week, and it's looking pretty likely that they will approve the move. So I guess get ready to see uh, the, the Las Vegas Raiders very soon. So that'll be that'll be fun to see within the next couple of years. Um, I also like that they're looking to eliminate the whole commercial kickoff commercial you know nonsense uh from these games cuz that that was always a silly point like hey let's go to commercial after a touchdown and then okay here's the kickoff up oh, we'll go to a commercial again just to drag it out so it's nice that they're finally getting rid of that um anything else caught your eye over the last week besides that now, uh, not particularly on that note, um, but no, I did find that interesting as well. Uh, um, glad that you mentioned that one. I, I had something I wanted to say extra about it, and then I kind of lost it. Uh, but no, I'm glad that you mentioned that. But yeah, so let's kind of jump into it. You know, we're going to start jumping into some draft stuff here. You know, free agency certainly dwindling down a bit. I think a lot of the 
you know, the first wave certainly has gone by, and it feels like the second wave has kind of crossed by, too. You know, we're, we're kind of into the, I don't want to say the bottom of the barrel, but uh, we're definitely, you know, the, the barrel is starting to empty a little bit. Yeah. So now it's really all about the draft. You know, pro days are in full swing, and you know, we'll kind of get into that. I think something we will want we'll talk about here. Uh, we definitely got to mention some of these injuries that have occurred at some of these pro days, namely Sidney Jones of Washington tearing his Achilles. So there's no, we're not sure how long his recovery is going to be, but it sounds like he's going to try to play in 2017, and then. We just hear the news of Fabian Moreau, the cornerback of UCLA. He's going for surgery. Don't know how much it's going to affect him, but it's, you know, it does. And I saw an article the one day, um, actually, I think it was last week. It was a Matt Miller scouting notebook. And he kind of shared his thoughts a little bit on should top prospects skip their pro day. And, you know, it was an interesting take, you know, because I remember him writing something about, you know, how much can you really improve your stock after, you know, running the 40 again or doing all these drills again after you just did it at the combine. You know, so it's it's an interest. it was an interesting take. And, um, you know, obviously these injuries are certainly going to raise some eyebrows as well. Um, but what's your take on all this? You know, the injuries and... Um, what can we take from these pro days? Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. Like I feel like we only hear these arguments when something really bad happens. Uh, but I do think that there's merit to them. I do think that if, if if you've competed for two years on the field and you go to the combine, you do at least decently. So you don't bomb it. Um, and if you did bomb it, it's not because of poor training or just poor performance. It was just that you just aren't a great performer in that stage. You just aren't a great athlete. You're not capable of doing significantly better. Um, outside of that scenario, you know, where the scenario is, you know, if that's a scenario and you go and you just bombed it because you weren't good, because uh, you're not a good athlete, you just don't have much higher potential, then I don't really see, or if you did the maximum of your abilities, then I don't really see why you would do a pro day. Um, the benefit of a pro day to me is if you've got limited tape on a guy, which maybe is because he just started late in his career, or maybe it's because uh, injuries struck and it just limited the opportunities to compete. And then you go to the combine and either you can't compete or you just don't live up to what you're capable of. Uh, and you didn't really do decently enough if you didn't answer those questions. So, you know, even like a guy like, um, uh, maybe say, like Dalvin Cook, you know, he proved what he needed to on the field, but he had a really bad combine. So he would probably want to participate in his pro day, uh, just in case, if he feels like he can significantly improve some of his numbers. And I think that he could. I think that that's very possible that he does that. But, you know, a guy like Vivian Moreau, you know, it, it's unfortunate what happened to him, but I think he made a decent decision. Like, I, I think it could go either way with him because he had a couple injury uh, injuries throughout his uh, collegiate career, and he didn't have... I mean, he had the experience, and he had a good combine, so he could have made that decision either way. 
maybe he just wanted to prove, hey, uh, you know, these are this is what I can do in the position drills or or something. So I think he could have made that decision either direction. I probably would have leaned toward no. Um, you look at the the Washington cornerback Sidney Jones, another guy with a major injury, towards Achilles. I don't think he should have performed, and and I don't see I don't think prospects on that level need to perform. We saw that at the Wisconsin program uh, pro day. T.J. Watt just sat on his numbers from the combine, and that I think is the right decision. There's nothing he could have done to improve his stock from what he did at the combine, and so. Yeah, I think he did like the position drills, which is, I mean, that's fine. I still, again, though, you showed that already. You showed that at the combine. You already did those workouts. You've got a year of film out there. Uh, it's one thing if you have a year of film and you don't do well at the combine, but if you do really well at the combine, then then it's, it just is what it is. Uh, I would leave it where it's at, and I wouldn't risk it. It's just at some point, I think that these prospects, it's easy for me to say because I'm not involved in the, in the process, but... I think at some point these prospects kind of have to stand up to these teams. And we've seen it a little bit lately where Miles Garrett doesn't do like the short shuttle or the three cone at the, uh, at the combine. He's waiting for his pro day to do that. Uh, we also saw it last year. Laramie Tunsil didn't run the 40. You know, it's like if you're a, a consensus first round pick, I really don't think that you need to do all the drills. Uh, now it becomes an issue if you get guys that are fringe. Maybe picks, maybe like fringe day two picks. I think you need to do everything you can to help yourself if you can do a little bit better. And even just going out there and competing is going to help you. But for these guys that are really safely a top 40 pick or top 50 pick, uh, which these two bit major injuries were to guys that are very safely top 50 picks, um, it even still may be top 50 picks after the injuries. Uh, I don't think that they should work out. And it's just a matter of limiting the exposure uh, to injury. You can get hurt at any point. You get hurt right after the workout and have nothing to do with the injury or the, uh, uh, the, the pro day and the practices. But I still think just we've seen it just a few times, and a few times is probably just too many. Um, Brandon Thomas, even a couple of years ago, went to the 49ers out of Clemson. He was a fringe first-round guy, tore his ACL. He's never been the same since. And, uh, you know, that caused him to, to fall into the third round. And did he really need to do that pro day after he did the combine? No, I don't think so. So it's easy to sit back and say from this vantage point now, um, but I certainly uh, am not a fan of, of these generally well-regarded uh, players doing the pro day when they already have a year or two on film, at least, especially if they have two years or more. And they did decently at the combine. I just don't see the upside there. Actually, I'm kind of glad you mentioned Clemson because I kind of want to transition there a little bit too because that's something else I want to bring up from Matt Miller's uh, article from last week. He talked about Clemson's pro day. And, you know, so it kind of ties into what, what we were just talking about here too with, you know, you kind of want to focus on like the lower players, not necessarily the high star players. Um, he kind of goes into that with Clemson because, you know, obviously all eyes are on Deshaun Watson and Mike Williams, but there are other prospects there that they want to they want to keep an eye on. You know, he mentions Cordelia Tankersley, the corner, Jordan Leggett, the tight end, Carlos Watkins, Ben Bulware, Wayne Gallman. You know, so it kind of 
the kind of ties in there. Um, you know, so I will might as well touch on that too. You know, some of the some of the prospect, pro, excuse me, prospects from there, um, especially the lower guys. I know there's there seems to be a lot of love, at least on draft Twitter, on Tankersley. Mm-hmm. Um, Walken seems like a good prospect. Bulware seems very polarizing. You know that. You know, I thought he looked okay at the Senior Bowl, but it seems like you know there's a lot knocking him. You know, I guess it's his size, speed, whatever it is. Um, when you look at this Clemson team, or at least the players coming out of Clemson, what are you looking at here? You know, at least in terms of you know the guys not named Watson and Williams. Yeah, yeah. So they, they, like you said, they've got a lot of talent there. Um, outside of Watson and Williams, who I think are both going to be first-round players, I think Cordero Tankersley is a guy that that your team, the Philadelphia Eagles, need to be playing, paying close attention to. Uh, in my what I would do mock draft that I just released um, tonight, it's on my uh, it's on my site draftcentric.weebly.com. Uh, you guys can can download that for free. Take a look for free. Um, so you also got 10 evaluations in there. I would actually, I, I slotted them tankersly in the first round, and then I came back in the second round, and I actually gave the Eagles another cornerback in the second round, uh, just because I think that it's that much of a, a dire need. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I could see that, yep. You know, yeah, it's just one of those things where it, it worked out well. Just, and I'm not saying that to force that pick at all. I'm not the type to say to force the pick, but it just worked out that my board had worked out that way. Or I believe it was Quincy Wilson in the second round. Nice. Um, yeah, so I really like that that potential fit. But, yeah. you know, Tinkersley's a guy. He's big. He's long. He's better than Mackenzie Alexander was last year. And that was something that a lot a lot of people were even saying last year is that, you know, they like the size better. Um, he's got speed, enough speed um, to really fit both zone and man. I think he's a little bit better being physical at the line of scrimmage, but, uh, you know, he's a, he's a, just a good, good player overall. Like, he doesn't have a ton of weaknesses. I don't know if he has, like, a superstar trait. Like, I don't know if he's going to be a guy who becomes a, a pro bowl, like a high end pro bowler. Um, but I think he's a guy, who, you know, at his pro day, quite honestly, I'm not sure that he needs to show too much. Uh, there's going to be a lot of attention on these other guys as well. Uh, but I mean, he, you know, looking at his, uh, at his, uh, draft performance at the combine, uh, you know, again, like I said, he measured pretty well. Um, just bringing him up now. He's got, uh, what stood out to me the most is, is the size, the size checked out perfectly, 6'1, 199 pounds, so about 6'1, 200 pounds. He's got the length that teams want. A lot of teams want that 32-inch arm length. He's got 32 and a quarter arm length. Um, 4-4-40, that's obviously fantastic. That's exactly what teams are looking for there. Um, so, I mean, he's not going to improve on that. Maybe you could argue he could improve his three-cone of seven seconds. You'd probably like to get that about to 6.85. That's like a really elite number, especially for someone his size. But it's okay. You know, he's going to be a vertical corner. He's not going to be a guy who maybe plays man 
up and down the line of, line of scrimmage. It's just not really his strength. He's really, really good at, at covering the vertical routes and the stick routes, so like comebacks and curls. Um, and everything in his profile, physical profile, points to that. Uh, his vertical jump was really the only thing that was bad. Um, less than 30 inches on his vertical. That's in the bottom one percentile of all cornerbacks um, in the last 15 years. So that's pretty bad, but it's not a huge indicator of anything either. So it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, maybe he was tired, maybe he just couldn't get the lift in his legs. But if he can't do better, there's no reason to work out. I think maybe just do positional drills, if anything. Uh, but I think he's probably cemented as, at worst, a late first to mid-second round player. So I don't know if he's going to really be able to help his stock at all, unless if he thinks he can run like a 4-3-40, which that doesn't really fit his game. Uh, that would be really surprising to me. Um, outside of him, I know you mentioned Watkins. I think he's a late-round guy. I, I don't think he's going to be able to gain much. He'll probably retest and everything, uh, just because he's a guy that needs to go out there and compete and kind of show that ability to compete and, and maybe match or do better on his other numbers, but that's not really his game either. Uh, and then Ben Bulware, that's a good, that's a good number to, to mention, or good guy to mention, because when you look at the numbers on him, statistically, he was obviously fantastic last year. And throughout his career at Clemson, um, I like him as a late round guy, as a backup special teamer. Um, he's obviously a leader on, on any defense that he steps into, and he's a great effort player, and he's a very smart player. Uh, he's got some quickness to him as well, but he's just a very limited athlete outside of that, and he has to win really pre-snap. Uh, he's not going to be a guy who wins by making up for, for you know any type of misreads or uh, missteps on his own part. He's not a great uh, technical linebacker as far as working offensive linemen and, and beating them to their spot. And even when he doesn't beat him to their spot, he doesn't overcome that disability with kind of a great technique. He's just kind of a guy that, that wins with his head, and he does has just enough physically to do it. In the NFL, that gets exposed, and we've seen a lot of middle linebackers um, that happen to over the last few years, even better athletes that that's happened to. So uh, I think he's a, definitely a late-round guy. Um, he should, again, work out, and I'm sure he will. Um, he's just that type of character, and so... Uh, yeah, I root for him, and I hope I hope he becomes better than what I think he'll be. Um, but I've got him as like a sixth, seventh rounder in this class. Let's kind of stick a little bit on the pro day subject, but um, kind of transition to the quarterbacks because everyone certainly loves the uh, you know the quarterback talk. Uh, North Carolina just had their pro day, so of course Mitchell Trubisky. Um, Deshaun Kaiser of Notre Dame, you know, and I know our buddy Joe Marino of Draft Dudes was actually at North Carolina's Pro Day. Um, I don't know if you were able to hear anything as far as how some of these quarterbacks did or if they were able to help their stock. You know, I, well, I mean, for a guy like Trubisky, how much could he really help his stock? It's starting to sound more and more like he's going to be a high pick, very well could be the first quarterback taken. Um, Kaiser, it sounds like he did well, maybe solidifying his spot in the first round, though I don't think there was really much doubt he was going to fall out of the first. Um, with, and it's, what's interesting, and you know, we'll, we could discuss it a little more too, is that some of these quarterback teams, or quarterback needy teams, 
are kind of filling that void a little bit. I mean, you look at Chicago, they were a team that was pegged to potentially take a quarterback high. Well, now they go and just sign Mark Sanchez. So now even Adam Schefter doesn't feel that they're going to take a quarterback high now that they've already got four quarterbacks on the roster, you know, including a bunch of young guys. Um, but, you know, over, overall, what did you hear about how some of these quarterbacks did in their pro day and how it could affect their draft chances with only a month to go? It's as crazy as that is to say already. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm with you here on Kaiser from, from everything that I've gathered is that it was a really good showing. And uh, I think teams in general are going to give him a benefit of the doubt, I think, for that situation that he dealt with at Notre Dame. I, I think some of it was his own issues. He's not a guy who is uh, going to overcome uh, his own physical issues, um, especially as a passer. You know, we talked about Carson Wentz. I think he has some of the same issues that Carson Wentz dealt with last year and, and has to overcome. And But Kaiser is also an excellent deep ball passer, and he's also very good at extending plays with his legs, even better than Wentz. Although Wentz did show, you know, some definitely, definitely some some promise in that area, especially especially the the latter. Um, I think he definitely has some upside there, and especially what Kaiser does as well, extending plays in the pocket, continuing to keep your eyes downfield, and I think that's what you're going to build around. And if you can just improve the shorter and the timing stuff, that's going to be the key for him, and I think he can do it. And I think getting better teammates will help that too. Um, a friend of the show, Jeff Risen, alluded to this on Twitter that. His the feedback he had gotten is that teams are, at least some teams are going to give him the benefit of, benefit of the doubt on some of his issues because of his uh, teammates. You know, this is a guy that lost C.J. Procise, uh, Ronnie Stanley, Will Fuller, uh, onto the NFL, and he actually, I mean, he even lost even more than that. But he lost, you know, those three, you know, for two first rounders and a third rounder to the NFL. And they replace him with a bunch of freshmen and sophomores. And it shouldn't be surprising that the freshmen and sophomores struggled. You know, like the, we didn't see the separation. We didn't see the big playmaking that we saw, uh, from, from that prior year, even just from what we saw of Kaiser as a freshman. So, um, I think he has, I hope he solidified himself as a first rounder. I, it's hard to, you know, be confident and it's really hard to be confident that all four quarterbacks will go in the first round. I think that all four will, um, just because there's so many teams looking, and there's teams looking long-term as well, and I think that they'll want that fifth-year option on, on whoever the last quarterback is. Um, and it makes sense, and I think all four are deserving of it, too. I, I think that it just makes sense. For me, Kaiser's my second-rated quarterback. Um, you can make an argument, though, that he could be the first-rated. You could probably make an argument that he'd be the fourth-rated, depending on for which team that you're looking at. But... Um, I really like him. I would bank on him and his upside. He just, he does things that great quarterbacks do. And it's not often that you see bad quarterbacks flash what he flashes consistently. Um, so I'm willing to bet on that. Um, for as far as the Mitch Trubisky pro day, I, again, I heard good things on that as well. Um, Joe Marino from the draft breakdown was, was there and he had very positive things to say about Trubisky. Now Trubisky is also his quarterback one. So I'm sure, you know, we're all prone to a little bit of, uh, of some bias confirmation there. Um, for me, he's my quarterback four. And so for me, I've, I've got some, some major concerns as far as his upside. 
and his uh, his mechanical ability right now. I think he's a good player. Don't get me wrong, and I would take him in the first round in the right situation. Um, I think he even makes sense for a team like Chicago or Cleveland. Uh, or even the Jets, I think he makes sense for all three of those teams if they really wanted to take him that high. Um, I've got him mocked to the Washington Redskins, actually, in the first round. That's where I would take him. Uh, I think it just makes a lot of sense for them, especially the Kirk, the Kirk Cousins situation. Um, but, you know, he's we heard good things from him, too, and I think he'll be a guy that he could see some massive gains as a young player, especially with only one year of starting experience. Uh, he does have, a, a, you know, I think, like, uh, two years of like game experience, which it showed, and it showed as he got older at North Carolina, uh, his progression from the start of the season to the end of the season is fairly significant. And that's not saying he was perfect because he wasn't, um, but we saw growth. We saw a guy become more comfortable uh, in his role and become more of a playmaker. And so he's going to have a learning curve coming in the NFL, probably more than any of these other quarterbacks. Uh, but I still, I still think that he can find the, the pendulum of success. Something I was just kind of thinking of, and I mean, I don't know how realistic this possibility is, but you talked about some of these quarterbacks that want the fifth-year option, and you've seen in the past a couple teams trade into the back end of the first round. You know, the first one that comes to mind is the Vikings with Teddy Bridgewater to get that fifth-year option. How realistic is it that, say, Cleveland takes Miles Garrett number one, and then goes at a position other than quarterback at 12, and then trades in, trades back in to the back end of the first round, since they have the first pick of the second round, move up a couple spots to the back end of round one, and then get their quarterback to get that fifth-year option. Is that a possibility, or is it more likely they're just going to sit there and see whatever falls to them at 12, or maybe trade up if they have to? if they want to get one of those quarterbacks? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I think that's going to be the, the question of the draft for me, day one. Uh, it, it revolves around the Browns. Uh, I think it's I think it's more likely they take their quarterback just at, at 12. Um, but, I, you know, it depends on who's on the board. And this is where you have to have a very good... Uh, relationship with teams around the league. You've got to have good scouts who have talked to a lot of guys around the league to kind of get the temperature of the other quarterbacks that may fall to the end of the first round. Because if you're looking at this roster and you're saying, okay, they clearly need a quarterback, right? I mean, they, they have other needs. They have needs at safety, corner, um, maybe another edge rusher, but they're going to take an edge rusher number one. So, Obviously, that's not going to be a need. And then on offense, maybe a receiver. Um, you know, you can make the argument for a running back, um, but definitely quarterbacks. You're saying quarterback and safety are definitely the two biggest needs outside of pass rush, and you're going to get pass rush at number one. So at 12, the question is, okay, so who's on the board? Well, let's say if our Intel team, if, if, if I talk to my scouts, I'm the GM, if I'm Sashi Brown, and, and I'm talking to my scouts, and we're like, okay, we, we love two safeties in this draft, in the first round. It's a deep safety draft, though. And maybe we can get, maybe we can get Malik Hooker at 12, which I think is very unlikely. But maybe, maybe it's almost very likely we can get Jamal Adams at 12. So would we rather have Jamal Adams at 12 
and then trade up for a quarterback because my scouts are saying, hey, you know, there's a chance Kaiser or Mahomes or Watson falls to maybe the mid-20s, and we can move up in 33 and use that other second-round pick and maybe a fourth-round pick to move up and jump like Kansas City uh, and some of these other teams that may be looking at, at those quarterbacks there in the mid-20s. Well, if my scouts have it on good word that, that they can do that, you know, that's a more attractive option because what would you rather have? Would you rather have the trio of uh, Garrett, Jamal Adams, and let's just insert a quarterback name for, for discussion, say um, Deshaun Watson, or would you rather have the quartet of picks that would be Garrett, insert quarterback at 12, let's say Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Kaiser, and you keep 33 and you keep that other second-round pick, then at 33 and that, and I think it's 54 off the top of my head, uh, say you keep those picks, well, which one's more attractive to us? And so that's what the discussion needs to be. I tend to lean more towards, hey, unless if we have it on really good authority that there's going to be one of these four quarterbacks in the mid-20s, and we feel great about our chances. And again, this needs to happen pre-draft. You've got to reach out to these teams pre-draft and say, hey, does 33, 54, and one of our picks in the fourth round interest you in a trade-up? Uh, or even if it has to be that much. Maybe you, maybe you trade less. Maybe you trade a second-round pick um, and a third-round pick or something like that. And if you can find a trade partner early in the 20s to do that deal, maybe, you know, I think I think the Dolphins would actually be pretty interested in a deal like that. Um, or even like the Giants maybe would be interested in that. But if you can find one of those teams and leapfrog them and get that fifth-year option on that quarterback, that's probably the best bang for your buck. Because this team doesn't need 10 rookies. The Browns don't need 10 rookies. They need probably six rookies, and you need four of them, three or four of them, to be early contributors. Well, you're going to get an early contributor for sure with Miles Garrett. You're probably going to get an early contributor with a quarterback, and then that leaves you with either 12 or 33, and then whatever your next pick is after that, if you trade, to go get two more. So out of the next three picks, you need to get two more. I think that's very doable. In this draft class, I think it's very doable. And uh, it's not necessarily just need-based drafting. You're, you're going to look for the value, too, because the Browns aren't ready to win right away. Um, but you can you can kind of make that those moves if there's a guy falling and take advantage of that. But the Browns are in a good situation, but it's a great draft conundrum. And I think you have a great argument for, for either direction that you want to go. Mm-hmm. Um. Before we get into one of the prospects that you brought up, I just want to throw this question out, too, um, because people have been talking about it, I've, I've seen around, and it's an interesting debate, I think. Um, you know, all these quarterbacks are getting snagged up. There's one quarterback in particular that's still sitting out on the market, and it's really fascinating to see why there hasn't been a lot of interest in him and why he hasn't signed yet, and that's Jay Cutler. Yeah. Um. You know, because there was all these dot connectings. Um, you know, people have pegged him to the Jets. People have pegged him here, whatnot. Um, funnily enough, his former team, the Bears, just go and sign 
Mark Sanchez. So it's like, okay, so if Mike Glennon flops, here comes the Sanchez now as your quarterback. Um, and I believe they also have David Fales and Connor Shaw on their depth chart. Yeah. But yeah, Jay Cutler is still out there sitting on the streets. And it's, like I said, it's really fascinating that his market just seems so quiet right now. No one's looking at him, um, especially the team like the Jets. You know, who there's been reports that maybe Christian Hackenberg might make some starts, which I don't know. I mean, but this is also a Jets team that's in complete rebuild mode. I think, you know, they really just need to build it from the ground up. So maybe it's not in their best interest right now to take color. Even Colin Kaepernick's still sitting out there on the market, but I think, uh, you know, Cutler's a little more of the. Interesting subject, but you know certainly Kaepernick is right there as well. Yeah. And you know the Jets again have been kind of pegged at times to Kaepernick as well. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, when these two, because I'm sure both of them will get signed at some point. Oh yeah. Um, may yeah. not be right away. May not be till training camp, but at some point, I think someone's gonna take a stab on these guys. Yeah, I agree with you, and and I know that some people have said, well, these guys have been blackballed, and you know they're they're not getting getting the action because Kaepernick because he knelt, and because Cutler for whatever reason, and I, I don't agree with that. I, I actually don't, and I think that it's smart for both of these players to kind of wait it out. And I'm a little bit surprised as well with you that Cutler hasn't gotten more interest um, from the Jets. He was a guy that even I had heard and linked them to that that was kind of the expectation is that he would eventually land there. And maybe he does still, by the way. I don't think that that's ruled out. They didn't pay that much money um, for the guys that they have. Like They still have one of the cheapest quarterback rooms mm-hmm. in the NFL. And now I'll say I'll say this, though. They, they have to decide which direction they want to go. If they're going to leave Tom Bowles as a lame duck head coach, then they're going to probably keep the quarterback room the same as what it is currently. Because he's not going to win with Christian Hackenberg, Josh McCown, uh, Bryce Teddy. You know, those aren't, those are, that's a tank roster. That's a roster that you're, like you said, you are very willfully rebuilding and in the midst of a rebuild. And that's okay if that's your choice. However, it leaves your coach in a tough position. I don't think that your coach is going to withstand that and be able to survive that type of, uh, quarterback situation. Right. So, I think it's still possible that Cutler can go there, but they just have to decide. And maybe they're just waiting for the draft, too. And that's another thing that the players may be deciding. You know, teams should definitely be interested in both Cutler and Kaepernick. Cutler was coming off a major injury. He's older. And he hasn't been, he's never been particularly consistent or that good. I'm not a big fan of his, but he's still an upgrade on some of these guys slated to start next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's certainly too good. He's probably too good to be a backup. But in the right situations, I think it would make sense for him to be a backup. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up taking a backup deal. I, I, I predict that he's going to end up getting a starting job, um, or at least competing for a starting job. And then his talent will just help him win out as long as he's healthy. And same for Kaepernick, by the way. I think Kaepernick will get that. As well, unless if he just really wants to go somewhere and be a backup, 
which I don't think. He, he deserves to be a starter. He's a top 32 NFL starter um, at the position. So, But I do think that the, the quarterback depth in this class is hurting them. And I think the Tony Romo situation is actually hurting them more than anything. Uh, two of the biggest suitors for both of those guys are waiting on the Tony Romo situation to play out. Mm-hmm. So, and, and you can argue that Dallas also is a team that could be waiting on that situation to sign one of these guys. Who would be a better replacement for Tony Romo as a backup than Jay Cutler? For Dak. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, or even Kaepernick. You can make an argument that Kaepernick would be a good replacement. Absolutely. If Dak goes down, you're paying almost nothing to that position once you dump the Romo contract. So adding a guy like that, if those other guys can't go anywhere else, you can see the attraction. If Dak goes down, one of those guys would be a fantastic backup. Mm-hmm. So I think once the Romo deal happens, which I still think he ends up in Houston uh, instead of Denver, I think we'll see Denver make a move on one of the veterans, and then I think we'll see Dallas or one of these other teams that are maybe looking for a fringe starter or a guy to compete with, maybe make a move on the other guys, because the markets will change for each of these players. Or if an injury happens, like Sam Bradford, you know, maybe Cutler, maybe Cutler's just as good with just hanging out and seeing, hey, maybe someone gets hurt, I get, I can step in, make 20 million bucks this year, and and just be a, you know, be a stopgap. Um, let's move on here. Um, I want to talk about. You know, we discussed uh, before we got on the air here come this, some of the stuff we were going to talk about. And Ian mentioned Charles Harris. So I want to talk about him a little bit. The uh, edge rusher out of Missouri who is getting some buzz as maybe a mid-first round pick. Um, I'm checking out his draft profile from our buddy Chris Burke, friend of the show, 6'2", 256. He was all... SEC second team with Miles Garrett and Carl, Carl Lawson. That tells you right there how stacked the SEC was. Yeah. A guy like Miles Garrett was second team. Yeah. Yeah, he's my um, he's my number three edge rusher in the conference as well. He's basically right there, with Carl Lawson. I'm a big fan of him though. Um, he had a great pro day. Well, not maybe not great, but he had a he had a much improved pro day um, in what he participated in. So if we look at uh, when we look at the combine performance, this was this was definitely a much maligned combine performance. Uh, we were I was expecting really good numbers and I think that most people were as well because you watch his tape, first half of the year he's under one defensive line coach and the edict is for him to be a run stopper. You know, read the guard and the tackle, play the run first, let those linebackers feast. He didn't do great in that role. And at least, and in fairness to him, he did okay, but you're not going to create a lot of pressure when that's your role. Unless if you're just like a monster. And he's not, he's not that type of player. And that's okay. Um, but it's also notable to say that when they switched back to what we saw in 2015, he actually was fantastic, and you saw a great burst off the line. You saw speed. You saw the ability to bend through contact, 
show flexibility upper body and lower body wise withstand uh, that hit and be able to keep his distance from the blocker and finish plays. And nine and a half sacks is a really good season. And I, I, I love some of his tape. Some of his tape I don't. I don't think he's a great run defender. He doesn't have a great counter move. But his initial moves and his variety of pass rush moves is as deep as anyone in this class is. And so I, I expected an above-average combine from him. And if he would have put up a big combine, he probably would have been a top-10 player overall on my board. Um, that's kind of what I was hoping for with him. I was expecting good, but I was hoping for great. He gave us bad. And so that made me go back and look at the tape again. I did see some issues. Um, and, you know, some of it is you give the guys benefit of the doubt until they give you a reason to not give them the benefit of the doubt. And that's basically what happened at the Combine. But at his pro day, um, he improved specifically his three-cone massively. So his three-cone time, of, and this matters. Edge players, it matters. You have to be a good athlete at edge, um, I think, to be considered, you know, a high draft pick. Uh, you can be a good player without being a great athlete. But it's uncommon, and it's it, there's only a, a handful that don't really apply in, in that in that situation. Um, so his three cone seven four seven seconds, very below average, 14th percentile amongst all edge players in the last 15 years. Not good, not not good. Um, pro day, 7.07 seconds is the unofficial time. That's well much improved. I mean, that's that's a dramatic improvement. I said 14th percentile earlier for his, for his combine time. Let's say 81 percentile. So he's better than 81% of all edge players in the last 15 years. And what does three-cone affect exactly? Well, you're talking about the burst off the line, and you're talking about the ability to change directions quickly and show some flexibility as well. Um, especially the hip flexibility, that's a big thing for, for edge rushers because you've got to be able to take that contact and not lose your balance and not lose your speed throughout that contact. And so that's exactly what it helps show you. It doesn't, it's not 100%, but it shows you those things and shows you the capabilities. That's more of the guy that we saw, or at least that I saw on tape, and it helped confirm to me and say, okay, I still want to, I'm going to keep him t- graded as like a, a high second round pick, which to me means um, projected quality starter. Again, I didn't see the freak athleticism to me that you need to have to be a first round player. Uh, but I'm still a big fan of his. And this was a guy, this is exactly the, the use of a pro day where he didn't rerun his 40. His 40 was fine. 482. It's not great, but it's fine. And vertical jump. He actually did improve by five and a half inches, which is great. Um, but you know, he didn't really improve much else and that's okay. That's okay. He didn't have to do that. But he, he showed that he is basically an average athlete, and I think that that's going to mean big things for him. You know, kind of like we've seen with other Missouri pass rushers. Shane Ray's been good in limited snaps. Um, Marcus Golden, his former teammate, was has been fantastic in his snaps for Arizona. Um, and then, obviously, we, we know Alden Smith, who was a good athlete, an above-average athlete, probably. Um, when he's on the field, he's a fantastic player. So, you know, I think I think he's going to fit in nicely, but that's basically how you want to use these pro days um, to to see if they can improve upon where they struggled at the combine. Good stuff. Um, as far as like uh, potential team fits, you know, what kind of schemes or potential teams do you think kind of best fit 
what Harris does. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a thing where, for me, I prioritize pass rushers. Mm-hmm. I want a lot of pass rushers on my team. I want three or four pass rushers on my team. Um, so I don't have a problem taking guys um, that are pass rushers that maybe maybe you wouldn't consider to be a big need. Um, yeah, so I'm looking at, at Harris. I'm probably not taking him as high as six or four, um, which would be the Jaguars and Jets. I think that's a little too rich. In my original evaluation, I was I would have been okay with it. Um, then the combine came. He wasn't an elite athlete. And I said, okay, so now he's more of like a mid-first-round guy, mid-to-late first-round guy. So now I'm looking at you know the Eagles or the Colts right there in the middle of the first round. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think would be very good fits for him if those teams wanted to. And I don't know. I don't think the Eagles can afford to take him. I think they just have other needs. Um, and there's going to be some value later in the draft that I think they're going to be able to take advantage of. But as far as a fit, he fits them. The Colts, I think, would definitely love Charles Harris. But again, though, they've got a lot of other needs. They could go cornerback. They could go offensive line. They could go running back. And you could justify any of those picks. They can, you know, they can reasonably take any of those guys. Even defensive line. They could add another defensive lineman. Uh, the Dolphins in the early 20s, I think, would be a fantastic fit. And then the Saints, the New Orleans Saints. Both at 11 and at 32. Um, the Packers, you could say the Packers too. So there's a lot of teams. Baltimore, heck, I could throw in Baltimore as well. Baltimore at 16 would be a fantastic fit for them, uh, for Charles Harris as an edge rusher. Just be a situational pass rusher um, early in his career as he continues to improve his run defense and his arsenal moves. Um, you know, So he's got a good dozen teams that he could fit in the first round alone. And he could be a really good value. Um, four, three, three, four. It doesn't matter with him. He's got experience in both. You brought up the Saints. I, I want to talk about them a little bit too, because there's um, certainly some interesting stories surrounding them. Um, you know, the story that we just heard about today. Apparently, they have a little bit of interest in one Johnny Manziel, which would be. Uh, very interesting to say the least if they would actually go after Manziel. I don't know how fluid or how how much uh, juice there is to that, but that would certainly be something if they actually you know went through and brought him in. You know, certainly they don't have much as far as backup quarterbacks behind Drew Brees, and you know they are going to have to start looking quarterback in the future. Now, not, obviously Manziel's not that guy, but you know, maybe as like a backup developmental guy could be interesting. Um, but the big story, of course, with the Saints is the continued rumors and talks between them and the Patriots regarding Malcolm Butler. You know, of course, they've already done the trade where Brandon Cooks went to the Patriots, but they couldn't do anything with Butler because Butler hasn't signed his uh, restricted free agent tender yet. But once he does, then I believe the only thing the Saints can give up if they sign with the offer sheet is that 11th overall pick, unless they're able to come up with some kind of trade package to maybe get him for less. But this has been a quite a fascinating story, a bit of a roller coaster, you know. Talks have been up, talks have been down, you know. 
will Butler stay? Will he go? You know, obviously that first round tender made things very interesting, made things a little more difficult, but, um, you know, maybe something happens where they come up with a deal where the Saints are willing to just give back the, the Patriots' original first round pick to get them, or they come up with a couple picks. I don't know, but, you know, it's really been pretty fascinating to kind of watch the story develop and in the end he might not go anywhere Butler might end up staying in New England next season and walk in free agency next season but um you know it's it's really going to be interesting to see how this story plays out you know leading up to the draft maybe even past the draft yes it's I mean it was shocking when they signed Stephon Gilmore to that big money deal and you know I'm not at all surprised that it came out shortly after that, uh, they, that Butler was, was miffed about it because apparently, and I think this was, might have been Ian Rappaport that reported it saying that, you know, the Patriots had told him, uh, that they weren't going to pay a cornerback huge money this offseason. They weren't going to give anyone double digit numbers, um, you know, specifically him. And then they go out and do that for Gilmore. And that, that really sours a relationship. And, Butler, I'm sure, wants to stay, but he also needs to do what's best for him, and that's getting paid. There's a guy with two Super Bowl rings. He doesn't, he's not going to be necessarily prioritized. Not saying he's not going to care about winning, but it's time to get his payday. You know, this is an undrafted free agent. It's not like he's going to win a Super Bowl for the Patriots. Yeah, exactly. And so for them to repay his play by paying a different cornerback from outside the building, that's really a, a, surprising move and I, I think that it's it really could ruin any type of chance he comes back um now i'm not saying it will but it, but it certainly could and understandably so it's a, it's pretty disrespectful to be honest and uh you know so looking at the saints the saints obviously it, it makes sense why they would want him i wouldn't give up that first round pick though that they acquired from new england um as good as butler is I'm probably fine just using that 32nd pick or that 11 pick on a on a corner and paying a lot less for the guy than what you're going to pay for. You know, again, you're giving up a first round pick and you're paying a massive contract. Even if they give up, now if they can give up a second round pick, maybe that makes a lot more sense from New England standpoint. You can't really take less than a second because if you keep Butler. And then you allow him to leave in free agency next year. You get a third round comp pick, most likely, depending on who they sign next next off season. Chances are they wouldn't sign anyone big enough to offset that. And at that point, the next year they get a third round pick. So it you you really got to get that currency quickly, or else it's better to just get the year from Butler, or just get the year from Butler and then franchise tag him. And, you know, again, that works out, too, because you're still going to get the comp pick eventually. So um, the Patriots are, are in a uh, position of power and leverage, as usual. And, um, you know, if I'm them, unless if I can get 32 back, I'm gonna, I would keep him. And if I'm the Saints, I don't give him back 32. And I, don't, and I definitely don't give up 11. So, you know, there's the conundrum right there. Absolutely. So... It'll definitely be definitely be fun to watch in the next couple of weeks to see if you know something does happen or if it just kind of dies out and he 
enters a contract year with the Patriots. Um, so with that, I think we'll wrap it up here. I think that was, you know, a lot of good stuff there. A lot of stuff for you guys to digest. Um, anything else you want to throw out quick? Um, I don't think so. The draft guide is done. Um, it will definitely be out April 1st. And, uh, you know, I've got a little sampler out on my site. Um, I sent it out on Twitter. I'm going to keep blasting it out. So if you're on the edge, if you're not really sure, if you want to buy it, if you want more information, um, definitely check out um, either my Twitter feed or draftcentric.weebly.com, and you'll be able to find that there and download it. Um, just to kind of give you a taste of what to expect, and, and it's much bigger and better for the full thing. Um, you know, Bill's going to get an advanced copy here soon, um, as well as some other media folks. So I'm sure you know we're going to get that hype train rolling, and um, you know, I'm excited to share it. There's a lot of work, and I'm glad to be done with it. Um, outside of that, at Bleacher Report, we're going to have draft preview articles for each team, um, where I wrote the cornerback articles for the NFC teams. And then um, I'll be doing a couple of draft articles with them through Draft Weekend. So I mean, it's a busy time of the year, but it's a great thing. Nice. And I'll tell you what, guys, I'm looking at the sample guide right now, and it looks beautiful. You know, Ian did a fantastic job. You know, he's got his his mock here. You know what he would do. He's got um, his prospects. He gives his grades, his comparisons, his fits. Just really anything you can think of. It, it just looks fantastic. It looks very fluid. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited to check this out. And then also, um, I think this is a really cool what Ian's doing. Um, it's $7 for the guy. And Ian's going to give half of his prof- profits to Cure PSP, who supports neurodegenerative disease research and treatment. So I think that's really fantastic in that sense as well, Ian. So um, best of luck to you. Um, like I said, really excited to see this this draft guide come out, and hopefully all of you, you know, consider checking it out. You know, there's definitely a lot of options out there, but, you know, I think Ian's is... Ian's definitely warrants um, consideration and, you know, a look-see. So, you know, great stuff, Ian. Good for you, man. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. So, uh, yeah, with that, I think we'll wrap things up here. We'll uh, we'll catch you next week. Again, thanks, as always, for checking us out. You know, I mentioned... Considering Ian's draft guide, we certainly appreciate you considering our podcast in general, uh, when it's certainly one of many fantastic football pods out there. So um, thanks so much for listening, and thanks for checking us out. We hope you keep checking us out. So for Ian Wharton, I'm Bill Rossetti. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Enjoy the rest of the tournament. Enjoy some more of the NFL stuff and whatever else you enjoy out there. And until next time, we'll see you right here on GG. Take care, my friends.